scripture reading this morning is from the Old Testament book of the prophet Isaiah, chapter 11, verses 1 through 10. Part of this is very familiar. A shoot shall come out of the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge for the poor and decide with equity for the oppressed of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt around his waist, and faithfulness the belt around his loins. The wolf shall live with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the kid, the calf and the lion will feed together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put its hand on the adder's den. They will not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. On that day, the root of Jesse shall stand as a signal to the people. The nations shall inquire of him, and his dwelling shall be glorious. This is the word of God for the people of God. Grace and peace to you, beloved. I am Amy Wilson-Feltz. I'm the pastor here at Morningstar, in case you haven't had a chance to meet me just yet. I love the season of Advent. I love this movement that we are making toward Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, and I'm so glad to be on this journey with you. Let us take a deep breath. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts together be pleasing in your sight this morning. For you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So I grew up hearing stories from my grandmother, the same one who had the nativity scene that I mentioned last week, stories from her about the legend of her grandfather, who was by many accounts a quiet artistic soul who lived toward the end of his life and died in Eastland, Texas, about 50 miles from where I was raised. The legend that surrounded my great-great-grandfather followed him from New Mexico, where he actually played a major role in a little-known conflict, the Lincoln County War. His name was Josiah Gordon Scurlock. Most people called him Doc. He was deputized a regulator in Lincoln County, and he fought alongside Billy the Kid in that clash of factions in the Old West in 1878. So if you've ever seen the movies Young Guns, have you seen the Young Guns movies, anybody, from the 80s and the, and the early 90s? Go look them up if you haven't. If you've ever seen those movies, you have seen my great-great-grandfather portrayed by the actor Kiefer Sutherland. Really. But Doc actually looked like this. 
I grew up staring at these photos, especially the one of Doc with his wife, Antonia. It actually was displayed proudly in my grandmother's living room, not far from the nativity scene. <laughs> Doc was an outlaw, of course, just like Billy the Kid and the others, and he, met, he made choices that led him to run from the authorities, and he engaged in gunfight. He killed people, but he was also a poet. He was a kind-hearted person who was often described as a natural leader and a good friend. And he makes my family proud. We're more than happy to associate our heritage with the legend of Doc Skurlock and to trace our lineage back to him on the family tree. Now, family trees are fascinating because we, all, we often start with two people at the top, right? And we, we write in the descendants as the branches, as it grows. But really, the way we talk about family trees is just the opposite. We put the, the descendants on the top and the ancestor on the bottom as the root, as the foundation, as the source. That's why I've represented a tiny portion of my family tree in this way, with Doc at the bottom as the trunk that supported the new life that would become my grandmother and her son, my dad. It's just a few people. We could put many more people on this tree, right? But this is a symbol of how my family members understand our origin and our history, outlaws and all. Jesus belongs to a pretty interesting family tree as well. If we pulled out the genealogies that we often read at this time of year from our gospel text, we would find in those lists of names reputations that were fairly sordid. We would find murderers and prostitutes and unwed mothers. But the prophet Isaiah takes a much more poetic approach, speaking instead, as Judy read for us this morning, a shoot that shall come out of the stump of Jesse, a branch that grows out of its roots. Now, again, this is just a tiny portion of the family tree of Jesus, of Jesse, with Jesse not at the top but at the bottom, the foundation of the new life that would become the holy family. You might also know Jesse as Israel, who was the father of David, who would become the first king of Israel. David was an ancestor of Joseph, the husband of Mary, who would give birth to the Messiah under a cloud of suspicion and, let's just say, very interesting circumstances. There is no denying that Jesus' family tree is the stuff of legends. It's been inspiring art for centuries. You can see here, these are just three renditions visual representations throughout the centuries of the text that Judy read for us this morning from Isaiah chapter 11. We enter into this discussion about Jesse in the second week of the season of Advent as a part of this worship series as we establish the idea that Advent precedes Christmas. We are not to Christmas yet. We are in the season of Advent. We're preparing for the birth of the Christ child and what God will do next in our lives and in the world. And we're calling this series once again, Yesterday's Words, Today's Hope. We started last week with a different piece from Isaiah, which was just as important. And we considered what these prophecies from Isaiah mean for us when we talk about the work of the Messiah. 
One week ago, we began this exploration with the first gift of Advent, the gift of hope. And we talked about the idea that hope is more than wishful thinking. Hope is an expectant faith that is powerful enough to end war. War around us, war within us. And that brings us to the second gift of Advent, which is love. And so we're turning our attention to this second piece of prophecy from Isaiah, who speaks to the promises of God as they unfold in a life, a human and divine life, a Messiah who was born to a particular family in a specific point in human history, a shoot out of the stump of Jesse, a branch out of his roots. Now, this is not scientific language. It's poetic language. It paints a mental image of the struggle of a seed to grow, to be nourished in soil and in sunlight and in water and to produce something new, to produce fruit. And it's that same kind of imagery that we can apply to ourselves as we are nourished by our connection with God and our relationship with other healthy people. Notice I did not say a person. I said people. This language of Isaiah describes a Savior who grows in the spirit of wisdom and understanding, counsel and might, knowledge and reverence for God, not for his own sake, but for the sake of the people. The beauty of this description is not in the, the power of one person, however divine. It's in what happens through the work of that one person for the people. Isaiah says Messiah, the Messiah shall not judge merely by his own experiences or by his own observations, but by adopting the perspective of the outcast and the marginalized, of the people who were deemed to be unworthy, unlovable, unclean. But more than that, the Messiah's care for the oppressed such as these is described as righteousness, Righteousness. Now, we tend to think of righteousness as being self-righteous, as being morally obnoxious, as being judgy. You laugh because you know it's true. In the context of our faith and certainly in the heritage of this family tree of Jesse and Jesus, righteousness is acting in accord with divine law. It's obedience. Remember just last week we talked about how God's anger with the people always had to do with their disobedience in terms of how they were treating people in need. When the people of God forget that we are blessed to be a blessing, tragedy ensues and life as we know it begins to crumble because we've cut ourselves off from the foundation, from the source of life. This means that for Jesus, the Messiah, following God's law could not be separated from caring from the most vulnerable. It just couldn't be separated. This is true righteousness, and it calls for a pursuit of justice, the restoration of justice. For many of us, justice is another word that is a little bit tricky, and it can describe an understanding of giving a person what he or she or they deserve. But in the eyes of God, justice is the pursuit of the defense of the oppressed, 
It means to take up the cause of the parentless, to, to champion the needs of the widows. Now, I am not making this up. It can be found throughout our holy text. It can be found in our text for today, and it can be found in the very first chapter of Isaiah as well. These early scrolls that were attributed to Isaiah were first spoken during the, re the reign of King Hezekiah. There's a household name for you. <laughs> King Hezekiah. At that time in the southern kingdom of Judah, life was pretty good because Hezekiah has a reputation for being a just king, a righteous king. He said, we're going to worship only the God of Israel. He said, we're going to take care of each other. So the people were living in relative peace. And so it's understandable that these passages that we've been reading so far from Isaiah have an element of distinct hope because things were pretty good. People were living under the rule of someone who demanded justice for his kingdom. And justice brings peace. We'll talk more about that in a couple of weeks, but that's what all of this language is about the coexistence of mortal enemies, the wolf and the lamb, the leopard and the goat, the calf and the lion. Justice of the kind that the Messiah brings has the power to change the broken natural order of the world. That's what this imagery is about. And that brand of justice is enabled by the second gift of Advent, which is love. So every time we talk about love in this context, we have to remind ourselves that we're not just talking about a sentimental feeling. Love is an action. And here at Morningstar, we subscribe to the definition of love that comes from St. Thomas Aquinas. I've shared it with you several times. What is it? Does anybody know? Say it. It's close, Johnny. Say it. Yeah, wanting what's best for others. Yes. What he said was to love is to make the choice to will the good of the other. To will the good of the other. That means making choices that are best for others. To love is to will the good of another. And repeated acts of love in this way bring about justice. And that's the story of Advent. Mary chose justice for her people by being willing to give birth to the Messiah. Joseph chose justice for Mary by standing by her in a scandalous situation when she was really vulnerable. Last week, we began this Advent practice of slowing down, of embracing the waiting. And we're using the imagery of the nativity scene to help us with this practice. And we started with the empty stable, the empty manger, right? The stable, which is, the stable is actually our sanctuary. <laughs> The stable and the manger, they are our containers of hope, right? We're still waiting. And so we have a couple of pieces to add today, and I'd love the children to help me with this. So kids, could you come back up here? You don't have to, but if you want to, you can come back up here. Come on up. Come on up. Hey, Daphne, you're going to be Mary next week, right? Okay. So can you hold Mary? Where is your husband? Okay, here we go. That's what she said last week at practice. Where's my husband? There we go. Okay, can you, can you two, and kid, the rest of you can, can sit down right here. But can Mary and, Mary and Joseph, he can go, it's okay. And go ahead and put, put Mary and Joseph beside the manger. What are they going to be doing there? 
Yeah, they're waiting. You can have a seat. They're waiting. And we put them right there by the manger to kind of show that they love each other and that they love the whole world. And love is the second gift of Advent. So in your worship bags, you all will find this. What is it? It's a heart. And what does it have in the center? A cross, right. Both the heart and the cross are symbols of love. So you can take this cross and this heart home and put it on your tree. And every time you look at it, you can be reminded of the gift of love. Is that cool? Okay, thank you. Okay, you can go back and sit sit down. Now we have Mary and Joseph in place. Yeah. Oh, you okay? Very good. Okay, and for the rest of you, last week I issued you a paper stable. Did you bring it back? You have it with you? Yeah, excellent. If you don't have one, no worries. We have extras that you can get. We started with the gift of hope. We're moving now to the gift of love. So have that with you. If you have it available, just keep it out in front. We also have it available for our friends online as well. We often talk about the bravery of Mary and Joseph, especially Mary, to enter into God's work in this way. And it's really important on the second Sunday of Advent that we recognize that they made these choices to will the good of the people. They're making the choice out of deep and abiding love, love for God, love for their people, and love for each other. And their love for the baby that grew to the embodiment of God's love for all. A love that seeks and requires and demands justice. It's a tall order, but it's possible if we stay connected with God and with each other. And the reality is that we are connected, lest we forget. This is our family tree. The family tree of the followers of Jesus is huge. And I don't know if you can read the words there, but it includes you and your children and grandchildren and someone who hurt you and someone you can't stand because God loves everyone, right? So we're all on this family tree together, outlaws and all. The point is that we're connected and we're growing And we're supposed to be planted in the truth that God gives us to love, to will the good of even people we don't like, to learn war no more, as we talked about last week, because that's what the full knowledge of God brings us. It's the way of Jesus. It turns our hope into action that is based in love. And so that's what this card is about. So the question for this week is, how will we show love this season? So if you If you didn't name your hope, you can do that. The hope is, what is the miracle that you expect God to do for you? What's the miracle that you need this season? You can write that down. And then beside love, consider how are you going to show love this season, particularly to someone who might seem unlovable. So take some time to write that down. If you need time to think about it, that's okay. You can do it over the week and then bring it back as we continue to move through this practice. Maybe your act of love is making a phone call that you've been putting off. Or maybe it's serving with our Lighthouse Food Pantry, which will serve families in our neighborhood this coming week. Or maybe it's an act of generosity that will support our mission or a community partner. So take some time to think about it. It doesn't have to be right now, but just ask yourself, what 
will be your Advent practice of love in these weeks that remain before Christmas Eve when we'll come back and we'll light the Christ candle and we will sing joy to the world. Because that light, the light of Christ, reminds us that the Messiah, Jesus, is not just our personal Savior. Jesus is not just our personal Savior. He stands, as Isaiah says, as a signal to the people, as a sign of God's presence with us, as a promise of God's continued work in the world. And I have to tell you, that work continues primarily through us. Work of God continues through us. As we notice the needs of others and we put those needs before our own. It's in such a lifelong practice of love, beloved, a, a life that is rooted in the practices of Jesus that we really can take part in a much-needed restoration of justice. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Hey, kiddos, as we move to prayer with God, you have your crosses in your worship bags. Can you find them? Mara, do you have your cross? Can you put it in your hand, your cross in your bag? As we hold these crosses, we remind each other that we are connected with God and with each other. It's like holding hands. That's right, Augie. Hold it in your hand. And let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for the gift of love. Love that is not just sweet words put together, but a call to action, a reminder that you are with us and that you are counting on us. We pray that your love for us will flow into love for others in a way that makes a difference in the world through small and, and important acts of kindness and support and connection. May our love for one another point to your love for all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.